welcome everyone back for another episode of the Dying Sports Podcast on the Dying Sports Podcast Network. We've got a great episode lined up for you with two phenomenal guests. Up first, we're going to be sitting down with former NFL player Christo Bailukidi, who is a defensive end with stints in Oakland, Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Washington. He also attended training camps with various other NFL franchises and is very well versed in contract negotiation and signing uh, free agent contracts, moving to a different team, learning new offensive systems, defensive systems, just even how the organizational philosophy shakes down. And he kind of pulls back the curtain on what it's like from the player's perspective to move from one team to another, to move to another city, to go to a completely different organization that might have different ways of approaching the game. And uh, he's definitely got some cool insights that gives you a little uh, idea of what goes through the player's mind when they're entering NFL free agency. Because obviously it's an exciting time as a fan right now. Everyone hopes that their team lands that big name free agent or makes that home run trade in the off season that gets them one step closer to a Super Bowl. But we sometimes forget, you know, these are actual human beings. It's not just, uh, you know, numbers on a piece of paper or a Madden simulation there. These people have lives outside of the games. So he, uh, he definitely provides some context for us to uh, keep in mind as we read all the headlines and all the latest signings and, you know, who uh, New England's going to sign next to, because they seem to just be rolling out the Brinks truck this off season in terms of free agency spending, which is wildly out of character for them. So. We actually touch on that as well, too, for those that want to head over to the dyingspressbox.com. We did a whole feature piece on how Belichick and company have uh, sort of broken their mold and gone against the philosophy that's gotten them six Super Bowl championships over the course of 20 years uh, this offseason and uh, why that might be. So give that a read. It's a quick five minute read, but uh, definitely shows some insights into what could be going on in Foxborough. Then we have the lovely and talented Kenzie Lalonde, who is a former U Sports host, recently became the first woman to do play by play on television in Quebec Major Junior Hockey League history. So that is a league that has been around for a very, very long time. And obviously television has been around for a very, very long time. But for whatever reason, she has in the year 2021 become the first woman to ever do play by play commentary for any team across the entire league. So very cool to catch up with her even better. She's from Stittsville, my hometown. So we catch up a little bit on all things Stitz Vegas at the beginning of the interview there. We actually found out off air. We both went to the same high school, go figure. And we actually have some uh, mutual acquaintances in common, which we did not know when we set up the interview. So small world, Stittsville strikes again. But uh, anyways, getting back to the podcast up first, we're going to sit down with Christo to get his thoughts on NFL free agency. All right, and joining us on the podcast today, we've got Christo Bailukudi, who is a former defensive end with stints in Oakland, Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Washington, and has the distinction of being Georgia State's first football player to be drafted into the NFL. Christo, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So obviously right now we're in the midst of NFL free agency. Patriots are spending like drunken sailors. Everyone else is sort of <laughs> signing people here and there. But as a fan, free agency is pretty exciting, right? Because you're hearing all these rumors. You're hoping your team goes out there and signs a big name. But as a player, I imagine it's a bit of a different feeling. As someone who has literally lived that life in the NFL, what is it like when you are in between contracts in the NFL and what that negotiation period is kind of like during this time of year? Um, I mean, I'd say it, could, it definitely could be stressful, um, but it could be exciting. It is exciting as well, too. Um, I think just the fact as, you know, as a football player, just going to a, a different city, different, uh, different team, um, you know, different culture. I think that's where the excitement comes comes about. Right. Um, some of them have childhood uh, childhood teams that they would love to play with, love to play for mm -hmm. um, where. You know, some of them are just completely, you know, new to the game like I was uh, and just was just curious about living in a different city. Um, so it can, like I said, and that's where the excitement comes. The, just the stress is obviously negotiating the money, you know, and hoping that you're, you're getting what you're valued as. 
um, you know, some of the big name guys, they're, they're the ones that obviously are thinking more so, you know, what are they worth? You know, how much should they get paid? How many years guaranteed money as well, too, because obviously in the NFL, it's all about the guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, it's the only sport that we know that they don't get your, your full contract isn't guaranteed. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's where that whole stress factor comes in as well, too. Um, but no, it's definitely exciting. Um, it's an exciting time for everyone, you know, for players, for for fans as well, too. Right. Because, you know, it, the, just the leagues gets shaken up during uh, during the trade and trading, um, I guess, during like the whole trades and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Everything kind of gets more exciting because now it's, you know, things like, you know, maybe Russell going out to, to the Saints. Right. We have all everyone known Russell Wilson to be. Uh, a Seattle Seahawk, right? So now him going somewhere or potentially going somewhere, it's going to shake up the league. It's going to shake up the division. So that's where it gets really exciting as well too. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's it's a fun time right now because it's kind of like the deciding factor of, you know, how things are kind of going to go in the NFL. And it's not going to always going to go the same way it's gone uh, last year. You see what I mean? As far as like, let's say going to the Super Bowl and whatnot. Obviously every player is different and everyone's experience is unique, but with your experience there, at what point in the negotiations does the player really become involved to actually, you know, meet with the GM and get a feel for the team and whether they think that that's going to be a good culture fit? Like, at what point does the agent say, okay, it's time for you to meet with the brass here? Yeah, I think it's once you get towards the end of the negotiation, mm-hmm. you know, once you, you know, everything like not all the, um, not all the papers are signed, but you're at this point where the interest is really highly going towards a team. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you start getting to meet some of the GMs and some of the owners and kind of get a feel for the team as well, too. Um, that would, I'd say would be the way that, you know, a team is more favorable to have a certain type of player. Right. So again, I'll just give the, uh, I'll just give the example of Russell Wilson. So let's say it's narrowed down to the saints and uh, who was the other team, the bears, let's say. Right. So Russell will probably go ahead and meet with both GMs, kind of get a feel for it. Right. Because Russell got to the point where he can now start to choose Mm -hmm. where he wants to go. Right. Based off his, uh, uh, based off his credentials and his achievements. Uh, and then from there, like I said, he'll just get a good feel for it. And then, you know, he'll choose a team he needs to go to. So you had the chance to actually play with a couple different franchises over the course of your career. And obviously some teams are known for sort of rolling out the red carpet to try and attract free agents. Others have more old school style. Was there anyone when you were, whether it was being courted or choosing a free agent destination or anything like that, that did anything that really stands out, you know, all these years later, as far as like, you know, what, that was kind of special what they did here. And if so, who was it? Yeah, I'd say, honestly, when I got to Baltimore, um, that was for me, uh, the team that really separated themselves from all the other teams that I've been, uh, that I've been on. Um, and also that I went to go visit as well, too, you know, just based off, you know, how the, the, the infrastructure of their facility, you know, they've really, um, uh, they really emphasize on like the Baltimore defense. So as you get into the lock, uh, sorry, as you get into the facility, you see all the, the memorabilia all the achievements, you know, from Ray to, to Ed Reed, uh, to Suggs, all these guys that have, you know, allowed Baltimore to become who they are today, mm-hmm. you know, and they really show you that. And I think for me, the, the, the number one thing that I, I remember when I was sitting down in one of the meetings, um, uh, Dean, uh, Coach Dean was the uh, was a D coordinator, and he emphasized that you know when you come to Baltimore, you know you're not. This is not a mediocre defense that you're going to play for, right? This is a top tier defense. You know we're always going to be in the top ten. Um, you know people respect us. You know just so, just for the fact that you know we've have tradition as well too. So that's something that I've really uh, got to appreciate of Baltimore. I would say uh, just the organization itself. You know from the owners as well too. Um, they just treat people different there. Uh, and that's how I guess they attract a lot of good players to come to Baltimore. Now, on the flip side of the coin here, obviously players talk and, and they'll share, you know, experiences as far as whether it was a positive experience with the franchise and a negative experience with the franchise. So when it came time to decide on a team there, based on conversations with past teammates or anything like that, was there ever a team that you told your agent like, hey, if they come calling, I'm not that interested in heading to that location? You know, I, I can't say for myself, I was at the level where I can really choose what team that I did or didn't want to go. Right. Because I still had to prove myself I was in, in that career. Mm-hmm. But like you definitely hear teams that people try to avoid. And it's more so because of the lifestyle. 
Mm -hmm. Right. Or of the culture as well, too. You know, um, you know, just as an example, you know, people don't want to live up in Buff uh, Buffalo. Right. Because it's a cold city. Right. Everybody wants to be more in a warmer town stuff. And Buffalo, there really, really isn't much to do. The only good thing about Buffalo, to be honest, is Toronto. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of guys that play for the team, they'll go up and, and have fun in Toronto because in Buffalo, you really can't do it. Um, now, there's teams that the culture isn't as good. Right. So let's say, for example, Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, the culture isn't as good. They haven't been good for a long time as well, too. Um, so a lot of team, a lot of not a lot of guys, but some guys that have the choice try to avoid going to places like that. Right. Because just the culture isn't there. So that's what I would say it'd be it, the, the two. The two main reasons are, you know, the city where it's located and how the culture is of, uh, of the, uh, the team as well, too. Did you ever notice a certain age that players would get to when it maybe a switch kind of flipped as far as what their end goal was there? So let's say 27 years old, people started thinking more about like, hey, I don't know how much longer I've got left in this. You know, I'm, I'm really going for that max contract here versus say like a 32 year old who says, you know what, I've been around the league for a long time now. My focus is now on possibly winning a Super Bowl and I'll sure. even take less money to go there versus signing that big contract at, you know, a bad team. Was there a certain demarcation line where that switch sort of flipped a little bit there? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd say like in your once you hit your 30s, mm -hmm. that's when people uh, that's when guys are starting to say like, OK, this game obviously isn't forever. I can't play with depending on the position. But, you know, the majority of the position, you know, once you hit your 30s, you know, that's when things start to slow down, because at the end of the day, the league is looking for the cheapest and the youngest player to come in and replace you. Yeah. So once you hit your your 30s and you let's say you made your monies in your 20s, you signed some good contracts and whatnot. I think that's when the guys start to decide, like, hey, if I have if I don't have a Super Bowl yet or if I haven't made a big impact, I need to go somewhere where I will make that big impact so I can win that Super Bowl and I can be remembered in this league instead of just being remembered for making money and, and having these stats. You yeah. see what I mean? So it's now more about how can I get this championship at the end of the day? So I think once you hit 30, that's that mark where you now start to think a little bit differently. Yeah, start focusing a little bit more on legacy than what number is going to be in the bank account at the end of the day. Exactly, right? Because if you, if you, you know, if you play to 30, you've probably made, you know, a significant amount of money. Yeah. Right. You know, they don't keep guys in the league for that long and then not pay them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's exactly it. Right. It's not it's not about what I have in the bank now. It's about, you know, the championship uh, 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 trophies that I can uh, that I can mount on my wall. Yeah. When you're joining a new team, obviously, there's lots of change, right? Everything from defensive schemes and plays and everything that you need to master, just to even the drive to the stadium, the layout of the facility, game day routines and all of that. How long does it usually take for you to sort of acclimate at the NFL level to that new team and really feel comfortable within that system? I mean, in the NFL, you better do it fast. Let's just say like that. I yeah. mean, it, you, they'll probably give you a few days for you to get acclimated um, just so you can understand where everything is, where everything is situated. But you better understand what your the defense is, what the offense is, what the scheme is, you know, within a few days. Um, because again, they're just looking for the youngest and the cheapest guy to come and replace you. That's just the bottom line, right? And it doesn't matter who you are. And we've seen that in the NFL. You can be the top, top guy and you can go ahead and sit on a bench because you haven't acclimated yourself uh, quickly enough. So, yeah. So I would say, you know, within a few days, you know, and it's and it makes sense, right? It's a professional league, right? They're paying you a good amount of money, you know, to make sure that you you know, uh, have everything down so you're ready to pr pr perform and to produce for the uh, for the team and for the organization. You know, so like I said, few days, that's about it. I mean, you don't have time to, to get yourself really acclimated like you would want to. Now, you might be a little bit biased in here because obviously you're a defensive player, but is there any sort of difference in terms of how much you need to learn when you do get into a new system from the offensive side of the ball to the defensive side of the ball? Or are they roughly the same when you're transitioning to a new team, a new scheme? Well, well I would say this. So as an offensive player, uh, you're more systematic. Right. So as an offensive line or as a as a wide receiver, you know, you have your um, your plays that you need. So let's say a wide receiver needs to run a go route. What that's the route that you need to run. Yeah. Right. So they are they definitely like their playbooks. I won't say their playbooks are much larger, uh, larger. I think they're just a little bit more detailed. Yeah. Right. Whereas in on a defensive player side, you know, yes, we have our plays, but us is all reaction. 
right? So, you know, let's say, you know, coach says you got to go through a gap, but like the play went the other way where you have to be able to react to that play and get to the ball really quickly, you know? So, like I said, I won't say the playbooks are much different. It's just the way you go about it as a defensive player and an offensive player is definitely different. Whereas, like I said, offensive players is more systematic. You know, you're, you know, you're, uh, if you're a right guard, if you need to go ahead and pull, you have to pull and obviously get to that second level. And that's how you uh, get to your uh, assignment. Whereas a defensive player, you do your assignment, but then you got to adjust to whatever the offense gives you. When you got towards the tail end of your career, when you ultimately walked away from the game, you still had quite a bit of gas left in the tank. You're still a fairly young man. There's interest from NFL level teams and all of that. But in previous interviews, you had said towards the end, you just sort of felt like you were going through the motions and you weren't a hundred percent invested in it. Was there a turning point that really stands out to you that you can point towards as saying like, I knew at this moment that I was probably ready to move on from football. Yeah, yeah. I definitely would say, you know, when I was with the Jets, um, which is the last team that I was uh, in the last organization that I was on, mm-hmm. uh, we're in training camp. And uh, I recall we were going into our meeting room to go ahead and watch film. And as we're watching film, that's when it kind of hit me where I told myself, man, this is not interesting. You know, um, you know, the NFL or any professional league, you have to be 100% in it. There's there's no 99.9%. It's 100 or 100% or you're not you're not playing. So just the fact that I'm not even interested in watching film, because film is everything you got to watch film for, for you to be successful in the National Football League, you got to be able to study film, understand film, and then apply it when you're on the field. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that I wasn't interested anymore. That was my turning point where I said, you know what, I can't continue going through the motions and just thinking I, I still want to play like my mind my mindset was pretty much made up at that time you know right after I left that meeting room stuff and that's when I made the call to the fan who sort of looks at it as okay they play 16 games a year they've got this long off season there's so much money that they would be leaving on the table that can't quite wrap their head around it how do you begin to describe the amount of energy, time, effort, everything that goes into actually keeping yourself at an NFL level, mind, body, and soul, 365 days a year. Sure. Yeah. I'd say, you know, an NFL season, let's say from training camp all the way to playoffs, you know, that, that feels like 300, that feels like a full year, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're go, go, go. You're working seven days a week, right? You have no weekends off, right? So when people say, you know, it's only a 16 week season, you know, you don't factor in everything that we have to do in that 16 weeks plus some, Uh you see what I mean? So that's where people need to understand, like the NFL is a league where it's, it's highly competitive, Um, you know, there's a lot of turnarounds as well, too. So a lot of guys develop, you know, let's say issues because either they're getting released or they're getting traded. You know, there's so many different factors to, to the reason why the NFL is such a highly intensive league, mm-hmm. you know, if I had to, if I had to call it that way. Um, but like I said, yeah, for, for the 16 weeks and plus some, it feels like it's, it's a full year that you're, that you're, uh, that you're working. Yeah. Right. And, and then, like I said, you have your time off, but your time off is not really your time off, right. You got to still train. You got to still keep healthy. You got to go see all types of therapists to make sure that you're, you're doing well, but then you have your family you have to take care of and stuff. There, there's so much going on within that full year and stuff. Right. So it's really, it's, it's, it's a good amount of dedication that you have to put in when you're playing in the national football league. Looking back on your whole career now, and whether it's, you know, something that happened on the field or something that happened off the field, NFL, high school, college level, whatever, is there one or two moments that really stand out to you as extra special now that you have been removed from the game for a little bit? Yeah, I would say maybe like on the college level, um, you know, just uh, my first year, so I went to Georgia State University and we were first year program as well too. And just to be, you know, our, it was our senior game. Yeah. Our senior game um, to be out there with the guys, uh, the guys that I fought with for two years. Cause I went to Georgia state for two years um, and going through that game as well too, seeing the fans come out and stuff, you know, a good amount of fans from Atlanta uh, that were supporting our, our, our brand new program as well too. You know, that was very significant. Cause I, for the first time I felt a part of a family, 
Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, that's what they do in the U.S., right? The culture in college football is they make you feel like a family and stuff. So that was very significant for me. And I'd say at the pro level, definitely my first sack when I got a sack my second year uh, against the Jaguars, I believe, um, just to hear the, the, the fans, the, the, the roar, like, you know, people, uh, you know, people supporting and people cheering, you know, I'd say that was significant as well, too. So, yeah, those those two moments are definitely, you know, they'll, they'll definitely stay with me forever. You've transitioned to obviously your post-playing career and you certainly haven't just been sitting around idly at home. You've been pretty busy, very active in the community, started a couple businesses there as well too. For, for those that are listening right now, what have you been filling your time with these days? Yeah. So, I mean, right now I'm full-time in real estate. Um, you know, I, uh, I got, I actually, I started investing in real estate about, uh, in 2015. So about almost six years ago, mm-hmm. um, invested in multifamilies and, you know, continue on investing as well too, with myself and my partner. I also got my real estate license as well too. And, uh, I work with, you know, investors with developers, just, you know, clients that want to, you know, purchase, uh, uh, residential homes as well as well. Um, so that's been taking the bulk of my time. Um, I definitely, um, I'm really proud that I've been able to work as well too with Ottawa Community Housing. Uh, that That's one of, uh, one of the projects that I've been working with for the last, I guess, four or five years since 2016. Uh, I became their ambassador and I was able to, you know, just do different initiatives, you know, for the low income community because I am uh, uh, I am also a former OCH tenant as well, too. You know, I was living at uh, Ottawa Community Housing for about 10 years when I was younger. Um, so to be able to join with them and, and do different work, different projects, um, it's uh, definitely it's been a blessing. Uh, and obviously, you know, with this whole COVID situation right now, you know, things kind of got put on hold, right? Because I can't really go into the communities like, I, like we were able to. Uh-huh. But uh, obviously, once things get back to normal, we'll be uh, restarting everything again. So, yeah, I've been... You know, doing a lot of things, obviously, after I got done playing, I knew I can sit down and not do anything. Uh, but uh, that's pretty much where I fell at my time. Yeah. And, you know, a lot has been made over the years as well, too, especially recently, not just football, but NHL players, NBA players, all of that, their post playing career, that transition isn't always easy for a lot of people, right? So have any former teammates or anything like that, that are also going through that transition reached out to you at all in in the the past as far as, you know, how did you get involved and how did you sort of map out what you were going to do in the future as well? Yeah. So um, the good thing with, you know, nowadays with social media, you get to stay in touch with some of the guys. So I definitely have them on my social media platform where I can talk to them. But, you know, one thing that I will say the NFL that they did uh, a few years ago, uh, back in 2018, my wife and I, we went to uh, Orlando, we got invited by the NFL uh, and the NFL had this, uh, I guess you want to call it either symposium. Mm-hmm. It was called the bridge to success. So they brought out, you know, all the former players flew them into Orlando, you know, had them stay at the hotel. Uh, and what it was, it's um, the symposium was called the bridge to success. So it helps players transition from uh, playing their playing career to the, I guess, if you want to call it after, you know, playing career, let's just mm-hmm. call it like that. Um, and it's like, uh, they have different seminars, you know, it's different guest speakers, former players, current players. Um, they also have, um, you know, a job fair as well too, you know, to, so some players that haven't kind of figured out what they want to do, you know, they have the, uh, the chance to go interview with different, uh, different corporations and companies. Um, so, you know, the NFL has definitely helped uh, especially, I guess it's more so after the lockdown, they kind of had to figure out like, how are we going to help our former players? Right. Because with everything that's been happening, a lot of players, you know, um, um, you know, pretty much going broke and, and not be able to invest their money or, or get a second, uh, get a job after they're done. Cause they feel like they're lost. Mm-hmm. You know, the NFL kind of stepped in and said, okay, we need to start helping our players now. Um, so that was really great. I think, like I said, I went there a few years ago with my wife and it was, um, it was very, um, um, is very beneficial, I'd say, very beneficial to a lot of guys. What's one of the more rewarding things that you get to do with your day-to-day life now that you are in your post-playing career? I get to make my own schedule. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, I'd say that's, for me, it's my number one thing. So like, I knew, I knew I couldn't work a nine to five job when I was done. Like yeah. I couldn't do it. Um, you know, because, you know, you think about it, you know, when you are playing, you know, every single day you're on a schedule, right? You've got to wake up, you've got to do breakfast, you got to do meetings, you got to do practice, you got to work out more meetings. And it's, you know, you're on a time, on a time schedule. Whereas in now, 
I can make my own schedule, you know, especially in my, my line of business, being a realtor and an investor, you know, I make my own meetings. I make the time when I want to do it. So like today I was up at like 5.30 a.m. My mind's programmed that way to if I need to get something done, if I have a deadline, like I know I can wake up early and get things done, right? But I chose to do that, yeah. right? So the choice of having to do what you want to do when you want to do it, that's there's there's nothing better than that. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. For those that are listening, though, that do want to find out either more about your businesses or connect with you on social media, where are the best places to find you? Yeah, if you want to connect with me on social media, my uh, my Instagram tag is Monte, M-O-N-T-E dot Christo, C-H-R-I-S-T-O dot real dot estate. Um, that's where you'll find me on social media on my Instagram um, and then if uh, anyone has a real estate question, you know, like I said, I work with investors, I work with developers, I work with people that just want to buy homes. Uh, you can um, shoot me an uh, email, Christo at dreamteam613.ca. Um, like I said, I'm always willing to answer any sort of questions as well, too. And if people want to inquire about it, uh, about real estate, they can definitely hit me up there as well, too. Beautiful. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Good time to be a uh, real estate agent, I can imagine, though, with uh, some of the prices going on. Eh? Yeah, so best yeah. of luck with that. Absolutely. I got my license at the right time. I got it about two years ago, and that's when the market started uh, started going up. So I'm definitely benefiting from that as well, too. Right. So it's 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 a good time to be a realtor. Yeah. Amazing. So there you go. Hit up Christo for all your housing needs moving forward, folks. Thanks again, Christo. Take care. No problem. Thank you. All right, before we sit down with Kenzie, wanted to quickly talk to everyone about dinespressbox.com and some of the things we have going on there as well, too. We're currently actually looking for more contributors, more people to do articles, blogs, interviews, videos, uh, analysis, all of that good stuff. So if ever you've wanted to work in sports media, haven't known where to start, maybe wanted to just dip your toes in, um, or even think that you've got a unique perspective on things, we're looking for people from a wide variety of backgrounds. You don't need to have a J school degree hanging on your wall to qualify here. We just want different opinions, different voices to uh, cover the major sports. So only qualification you really need is a passion for sports. So if ever you've wanted to get involved in a sports startup, we are currently offering the opportunity to get involved with us there. So you can head over to dinespressbox.com. You can fill out a contact form. You can just flip us an email to info at dinesports.com or if you're following us on any of our social media channels, you might have even seen us promoting this a little bit across them, but you can just send us a DM as well to get some more information, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you want to get involved and go from there. We're always looking to grow the team as uh, obviously this venture continues to grow. We need more bodies in there helping out and churning out quality content for all of our followers and fans to consume and uh, enjoy. So if ever you thought that you've had a uh, unique opinion or want to make a contribution to the sports media landscape, reach out today, dinespressbox.com or hit us up on any of our social media channels. We'd love to talk with you and whoever's on the other end of that there, whether it's one of our interns or uh, social media managers, they'll point you in the right direction depending on how you want to get involved. So very cool opportunity. We'd love to hear from you guys later. Now that we've got that out of the way, without further ado, let's get to it. Sitting down now with Kenzie Lalonde. All right. And sitting down with us for the podcast today, we've got Kenzie Lalonde, who is a former youth sports host and recently became the first woman to do play-by-play -play commentary in the history of the QMJHL. Kenzie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm so excited. I feel like I'm a little closer to home. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, as, as a fellow Stitzvillian, you <laughs> love to support the locals and all their success. So maybe off the top here, what has even been the reaction or the last week sort of been like from you from friends and family back home? Kyle, it's been crazy. Like, insane. It's been nonstop support. And that has been kind of the key word is everyone has just been so supportive from everyone at home in Ottawa to Moncton area, New Brunswick, my Sackville town where I went to university to here in Halifax and Nova Scotia across the province. It's been insane. And Sunday felt like a whirlwind. I, 
I was, you know, I still feels like a dream kind of, but you know, that Saturday night I was super, you know, the nerves really started to get to me and I was getting pretty anxious. And then I got an undispected phone call from Leah Hextall, who was the first female to do play-by-play for the National Hockey League. So, I mean, of all women to relate to the feeling I was having was her. So to hear from her and to speak with her and, and, you know, get her advice and have her climb me back down that, that uh, spiral of emotions, it was perfect. And I'm so grateful for her. And then as I tried to fall asleep, my phone blew up because Chris Cuthbert reached out or mentioned me on this Leafs game. So as I'm trying to fall asleep, <laughs> everyone's saying, dude, are you watching the game? Like Chris Cuthbert just mentioned your name, blah, 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 blah. And it was insane. So I was up for like another hour wanting to see the clip and seeing what happened and speaking with friends and family. And then Going into Sunday, I was definitely in a, in a good headspace. I was confident. And I think seeing my Eastlink crew and my color commentator and kind of talking things over before we got to air was, was perfect. Anytime anyone from Ottawa has that success or that breakthrough, it's always a fun feeling of reaching out and connecting. Hey, well, I went to school with her and I know her through this and all that. Did it really bring you back home and sort of connect with everything that happened? Oh my gosh. Did you know there's a Stitzel Central Twitter account? No. Okay. Surprise me because Stitzel is essentially a small cult. Like you ask anyone (laughs) where they're from in Ottawa and they'll pretty much be like, oh, I'm from Ottawa. They don't say I'm from Gloucester. I'm from Nepean. You ask someone from Stitzel where they're from and they will always say Stitzel. They'll never say Ottawa. So uh, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Yeah. So Stitzel Central like tweeted about me. I'm like, I've made it. Like that was the, (laughs) that was the tweet that really solidified the homegrown side of it all. But yeah, I mean, guys like Dean Brown, um, Ian Mendez, Brent Wallace, like my, the guys I grew up with listening to and watching in sports, reaching out, like, you know, asking if I have any advice or need support, like not just shout outs, but serious, serious connections. And Mm -hmm. that meant so much to me and um, just so many people and yeah, like people I went to high school with, former teammates, former coaches, like my old, um, president of Mount Allison emailed me it was insane so the the love is real and I got to go on to on a hottie and I nine the morning hot tub earlier in the week so talking to Mala Rush and Jenny was such a <laughs> was a real hit hit home for a full circle moment for me but the support's unreal I just want to get back and see my Stitzville family and friends hopefully sometime soon but to have them support me out here it means the world. of our podcast listeners right now have no idea what we're talking about with all the Stitzville talk. (laughs) And and frankly, I don't care because I have such a limited opportunities to talk about Stitzville. I'm going to take advantage. (laughs) Go Huskies. Yeah, exactly. Sacred Heart Huskies. Shout out to their good old high school. So, I mean, if we take it back to the beginning with you, where or when did this desire to do on air or sports media or any of that really start to take shape for you? Yeah, it's funny. I found old footage of when I was a little kid uh, recently over Christmas a couple years ago, and I was doing play-by-play with a little video camera for my cousins and brother riding bikes. I like had the video camera and was like, Mitch is approaching, oh, Max is in the lead. So I guess I had an interest to grab a camera and do commentary. But in terms of actually like maybe pursuing that as a career, that was always in the back of my head. I had grown up watching Holly Horton, all the Sportsnet crew and thinking how cool that would be. Cabby Richards and Cabby presents to me, like back when he was on the score was like, I would try and be late to practice so that I could watch him try and make like Mike Fisher laugh or something. You know what I mean? So always had an eye and an interest in sports media in terms of creating funny content. And then I went to Mount Allison and did a commerce degree and kind of kept it simple and thought maybe I would do sports management or work in front office. But my athletic director, uh, we were speaking one day and you know, it was in my fourth year and he was asking, you know, what's next for you? Do you know what you want to do? And I kind of let him in on a little secret saying, well, Pierre, it would be a little girl dream and a dream come true if I could interview professional athletes one day. And he was kind of like, well, why don't you grab a camera, interview some of our athletes here at university and start to build student body engagement for us? Like he was eager for more social content. I was eager to see what interviewing is even like. So that was kind of step one for me in terms of doing anything 
on camera. And from there, I started volunteering with Eastlink. So that's where I first heard of Eastlink was in my fifth year at university. I volunteered with uh, the Amherst studio and we shot a girls basketball story. And that was my first taste of a professional sports environment. And I loved it. So from there, went back to Ottawa and then got a chance to work for U Sports and doing some social media hosting for them. So I would go to live sporting events like the Vanier Cup and provide live social media coverage and capture the atmosphere of the event interview fans, alumni, and just kept kind of growing my resume and dipping my toes into anything I could because I didn't have professional or sorry, schooling. I didn't have, um, I wasn't taught any skills. I didn't go to broadcasting school. I was just learning by doing. And so I was trying to get my toes into anything I could to continue to learn. And um, yeah. And then I started to work at Sens Games just as like a promotional girl and um, had inquired about other opportunities like a TSN 1200, seeing if I could volunteer there. Couldn't, but was able to volunteer at Rogers TV. So I worked at their daytime show there doing camera. So really just trying to like grab anything I could. And then I got an opportunity here in Halifax um, and have been here now for two and a half years. What a wild journey it's been then, eh? <laughs> it was insane. It's crazy to look back on, but I was just so desperate to build my skill set. Like I had applied to Seneca, Humber, like schools that had either video production courses or broadcasting. And I was torn between like, okay, do I get the schooling or do I just keep grabbing at things? And I chose to keep grabbing at things. And Lo and behold, a full-time opportunity came way. And um, now I, I have developed the skill set of play-by-play. Looking back on it, do you remember what even your first on-air segment was or who you interviewed or anything like that? Um, like at Eastlink in particular? Just even your first ever one when it was school and whatever that athlete it was. I actually do. It was a girl, it was my teammate. So it was actually my teammate at the time, Emily Van Diepen. She was both a soccer player and a hockey player. So I was interviewing her for soccer. She was the captain of the soccer team. And she was kind of a shy, quiet girl, but because we knew each other and I could be kind of outgoing on camera, I got her personality to come through. Mm -hmm. And then I asked her like her favorite song and I forget what it was, but we ended up singing it together. So that's like still online somewhere. So yeah, essentially my first interview, I was singing um, like a Tim McGraw song. So that's somewhere on the internet, but um, that was so fun. And I think, again, you know, my love for showcasing an athlete's personality, that was my first taste of it. And I just loved it since then. So there you go. You went from essentially a karaoke session to being <laughs> a play-by-play announcer. That quite the glow up for sure, right? <laughs> yeah yeah definitely to say the least for sure humbling experience though like after Sunday um you know like Ron McLean and Tara Sloan gave me a shout out on the broadcast which was insane and threw me off but like in all the best ways but then Monday morning came around and I had an interview set at 11 a.m to speak about French toast week in the town of Amherst Nova Scotia so I went from like covering a very high profile sports to like having Ron McLean say my name to speaking about French Toast Week in the town of Amherst, Nova Scotia. So it was a very humbling experience. <laughs> you know, it kept me, on, kept me on my toes. It brought me back down to earth. That is a hard-hitting story right there. <laughs> it, was, it was some good journalism. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. It, it is still fairly recent that it's just happened. Has it really even sunk in the magnitude of everything, or are you still just on an adrenaline high that you're riding right now? That is correct. I'm still on this high. I think last night was my first night where, um, you know, I haven't been doing any interviews or even looking up notes for Saturday. It was my first like night of decompress and I just shut down. Like I've been so exhausted. I think just emotionally it's been exhausting in a great way. And so I haven't slowed down and, you know, it's hard to think that Sunday was again, simply day one. And I'm just anxious and so excited to learn more about the teams the league the history so that I can get better for Saturday so if anyway I'm just kind of like geared up now to to keep trying to be better and, and honing this craft have you had a chance to actually re-watch or listen to yourself uh, on Sunday yet or is it sort of like a musician where you don't want to hear yourself on tape exactly I still I'm like two and a half years into this I also in addition 
to doing sports at Eastlink Community TV, I host their community show. So I have my editor down the hall who's editing my show every week and I still can't, like if she starts to edit and I can hear my voice, I have to leave. Like I can't, can't handle it, but I need to get better at that because that's a great way to learn. And, you know, now that um, my highlights are also highlight packages we provide after our games and I forgot that that's a thing. So I can't like even hearing back my first call of Marcus Vitacek's goal. I just can't believe the first thing I came out of my mouth was, Hey, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I just can't believe that was the first thing I said. So I'm of course now overanalyzing everything I'm doing. So that, that'll come with time. I'll, I'll get better at it, but I, I, I certainly struggle to re-listen to my voice. It's uh, it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. That's just it. Right. It's all about reps. And even like, I don't know how it came up, but I think I listened to our podcast episode, like number three or something the other day. And it was just like, Oh my God, this is almost painful to listen to because you're just, you get better the more you do it and you get more comfortable. And th those little moments of, like you were just saying, you probably won't blurt out, Hey, next time someone scores <laughs> a goal or anything like that. Right. But. And I think exactly. And I think like broadcasting, like what you guys do, like people are watching us learn. They listen to us learn. Like every rep we get is us learning and getting better at our craft. And so you have to have a little bit of confidence to put yourself out there every single week and understand that people are going to have opinions and um what and and know you're going to screw up and you're going to have to be comfortable with that so I think that's what makes both of our jobs like challenging but exciting at the same time is that we're constantly learning and people are watching us learn so it's it can be a tough pill to swallow but that's what makes our our jobs exciting yeah definitely different than uh you know coming up in the 60s where you, you put it out into the world and unless you've heard it live at that moment it's never going to be there again right like these moments are going to live on the internet in podcast form and all that for eternity you can either embrace it or you can run fun. exactly switching gears a little bit though on a more serious note here we are in 2021 and the queue has been around forever like why do you think it's taken such a long time for someone like yourself to finally break through in the actual play-by-play in-game experience. Yeah, so there have been females to do play-by-play -play for radio in the Quebec Major Junior League. I'm the first person to do it for television. So when we look at the Quebec Major Junior League, the television providers are Rogers, TVA Sports, and us, Eastlink. There might be another one, but I think it's just us three. And yeah, so I mean, I'm the first television woman. I think again, though, you know, the hockey culture innately is not the most diverse sport in the world. So we're always kind of behind the eight ball with a lot of things, you know, still at the National Hockey League stage, there's still very slow developments there. So, you know, the junior level, you it makes, you know, it, it's understandable that there's not a lot of progression there as well. But what is also great about the major junior level is you're closer to the grassroots and you're closer to community television. And I think this opportunity speaks to the power of community television and that, you know, they're allowed to give local producers and the everyday person a chance in, a, in an opportunity to hone their craft, develop a skill set. They, they can take chances on people. And my directors took a chance on me and this past, like it's pretty much been one year I've been doing play-by-play. -play. So I first started with the Maritime Hockey League being the first female to do a television broadcast for them. And again, like what makes this event so significant is the advent that it's fa the fact that it's a female. I just happen to be the one who's associated with this movement. So this understanding and this, you know, movement essentially is hopeful that people will understand that women are a part of the natural landscape of the game and that either it's her voice, her interview, hopefully one day a league, the girls will be playing, yeah. but just, you know, having this foundational understanding that women are a part of the fabric of the game and uh, for the Quebec league in particular, this was a big step for them. You know, you hit on an interesting point there as well, too, when you mentioned the hockey culture itself sort of being one of the slower adopters is it more so the hockey culture that is maybe a little bit slower to adapt? Or do you think it's the sports media culture as well, too? Because when you look at broadcasters or play-by-play -play across any sport, it wasn't even until recently that you had Candace Parker on TNT with Shaq and the boys and all that. So it's definitely not something that is across all the sports. So is it one more than the other? Is it sports specific or is it just the nature of the industry, do you think? It's funny you bring up Candace Parker. There's a recent video of her just absolutely sinking threes on the set of their NBA morning show. Anyways, um, it was a great shot. She did like 30 shots in a row. Anyways, she's a, yeah, again, a trailblazer. She was huge, but 
I think it goes hand in hand when you look at the game itself and also the sports media to go along with it. Hockey is a sport where traditionally it costs a lot of money. So you're already going to be into a tier of demographic that can pocket a few extra dollars to allow their child to play an extensive game. So we're looking at the game itself. That's where you kind of get that funnel of individuals as to who's at the playing, who's at the um, the seats at the table when it comes to deciding changes is that when the record books are telling us that typically speaking, it's going to be an upper middle class and for the most part, men that have originally started the game. I think sports media is a place where we can see immediate change. Again, for the most part, the simple decision is having is for a network to pick a female, have her sit on the panel and call that diversity and inclusion. The challenging decision is to stick a female in the director's chair or in the PR chair in those situations where change can really be made and can channel trickle down into an everyday um, change essentially. So that's where I think we can see more of a, a faster progression. Um, but yeah, I mean, ho hockey is slower than a lot of things. It's great to see more women and people of color taking on the game in a, in a, you know, in a managerial role or in sports media. But again, the harder decisions are the main executives. That's where, that's where the magic happens. You know, you had mentioned earlier that hopefully the next step is seeing that professional women's league actually be taken seriously and get all the corporate sponsorships and all of that, that needs to go with it. And right now they're essentially running almost two separate factions, right? What do you think needs to happen for them to have that breakthrough moment on the women's side of the game? I think it's hard. Um, it's changed a little bit. I think when you look at the players that are taking part in one avenue versus the other, the Dream Gap Tour and the Professional uh, Women's Hockey Association, what's great about them and what gives that you know structure its power and the players that are taking part in that are typically your national elite level players that have that can wait around for the next Olympics and pick, you know, pick and choose the games they want to play. But for your everyday athlete and girl who just completed their, her NCAA program and isn't on that national team, well, she's going to go to the uh, to the NWHL because she can get more of a, a sustainable league or um, systematic league and be guaranteed 12 games actually invest her time and know she's going to get some ice time. It's challenging to see these two worlds separate right now when all we want is for them to be together, but they're both fighting for the same thing. It would just be great if they could come together. I think a lot of us look at the NHL and think, hey, man, can you not just fork us over some money? <laughs> you know what I mean? And see that adoption and hopefully see them help the game and, and progress it in a way like the, the NBA did. But it's a hard time right now to look for not a handout, but it's hard to ask big leagues and sports and entertainment companies right now to strike a check because everyone's hurting. Um, I don't know how close we're going to be to getting a league in the next five, five years or so. It would be great, but I think both leaders at both, uh, both of those associations need to come together and hopefully find a way to work together. Regardless, the Dream Gap Tour, I mean, playing at Madison Square Garden, what a huge progress. You know, of course, those are the American teams, the um, Canadian ones, are still struggling to find their ice time, but I'm hopeful for a day that there'll be a sustainable women's hockey league. I think it's going to happen. I hope it's, hopefully it's in my life and in, in my, in my age, and hopefully I can be a part of that process. I'm hopeful. For you. I mean, it started off with you sports, then it was East link. What's sort of the next step in your progression here? Are we going to see you on sports center anytime? <laughs> I just want to keep getting my reps moving forward. I'll be the play-by-play -play announcer for the Halifax Mooseheads. So that will be my team on our broadcast. And I have a lot to learn. I mean, Dan Robertson was the voice of our Eastland community TV for, I think, 15 years. He is now the voice for the Habs on TSN radio. So he's been a great help to me. He always says, send me your games. I'll, he, you know, he, he says he's no expert, but he'll help me. And I'm like, Dan, man, you are an expert. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a lot to learn. Um, I'm excited. You know, of course, it'd be a dream to call like team Canada one day or like the Ottawa Sens taking down the Leafs one day or something. <laughs> They've done it recently. So I'm hopeful that maybe the Leafs will screw up and it'll happen again, but yeah. that would be a dream. But in the meantime, I have, still have a lot to learn. Sunday was simply day one and I just can't wait to keep going and, and is the end goal just always hockey focused or are you going to become like Canada's Joe Buck where <laughs> everything in existence as long as it's a sport so I mean within the past years since I've done my first game I've called ringette 
I've called figure skating, basketball, soccer. I've learned a lot of sports. And so I want to continue to diversify. Basketball is one I'm still learning quite a bit, but figure skating was so fun. Ringette was the, like people say it's the fastest sport on ice. And let me tell you as a play-by-play announcer, it sure was. It was a challenge. We did eight games in one day. My voice was gone by the end of the day, but yeah, uh, who knows? Who knows what the future holds? But I, I am excited to keep getting better. Nice. Now, before we let you go, if you could offer any piece of advice based on your sort of journey to a young woman who is about to start her sort of sports media journey, what would it be? Definitely say yes to every opportunity. You know, it's hard when you're starting out. A lot of things I did weren't paid. So there's a big, you know, controversy about those opportunities, but you never know who you're going to meet. And also, I would definitely say, like when you I've been saying it for a while now, but when you get that, like, you know, innate feeling of fear, anxiousness, but super, super, you're super excited for something, but it scares you. That's a good sign. That means something that opportunity is going to be really special for you. So do it and run with it. Yeah. So those are kind of like my two things. Take any opportunity and don't let fear stop you. Amazing. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you or learn more about your story or or hear you call the next game there? Where are the easiest places to tune in? Definitely on Twitter at Eastlink Kenzie, uh, you know, slide in those DMs. We'll chat. I am a pretty conversational person. Um, Instagram as well is a good behind the scenes look as to my life. So that's at Kenzers with four Z's long story, but yeah, those are two places you can definitely connect with me online and I'd love to chat and yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see this president cup here, get lifted later on in the season. All right. Well, Kenzie, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. We really appreciate it. Best of luck with your upcoming calls this weekend there as well. And hopefully next time you're in good old Stitz Vegas, you can have a slice of JoJo's pizza and uh, call it a day. I would love that. Thank you. (laughs) That's a wrap for another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. As always, a huge thank you goes out to both of our guests today. First, Christo for sitting down with us and walking us through his NFL journey and what it's like being a free agent, signing those contracts, negotiating, you know, back and forth with agents and organizations and all of that fun stuff. Definitely a uh, timely peek behind the curtain, given the fact that it is NFL free agency right now. So very, very cool to see how that works from the player's perspective, for sure. Then, of course, Kenzie for sitting down with us and talking about her journey, how she's gotten to where she is in the sports media world right now and becoming the first woman play-by-play announcer on television for the QMJHL in league history. So definitely very cool things that she's been able to accomplish in a relatively short amount of time and we wish her all the best as she continues progressing through the ranks there in sports media uh you heard it in both of their conversations how to connect with them on social media or check out their websites they both got some very cool projects in the works so make sure you do that while you're at it make sure you toss us a follow as well too on all the major social media platforms all of our handles are the same they're all at dine sports d-y-n-e-s sports with an s at the end of it love to connect with you and keep the conversation going on any of those platforms as well while you're at it check out dinespressbox.com and see all the great articles and videos and all that fun stuff that our staff are cranking out on a daily basis they're working really hard so give them a little uh check out whenever you have a chance as well too got some phenomenal guests coming up next week until then everyone have a safe and enjoyable weekend enjoy the weather and we'll see you next time Thank you.